Hello, and welcome to Whole Cluster Conversation. With my ecology background and my love of plants, um, I think that this part of harvest, what we're talking about today, is the most interesting to me. Um, I know that when I was working harvest, I really loved the days when we went out into the vineyard and just like looked at the grapes and I got to ask um, questions and talk with the farmer about kind of why we pick when we pick and like what is going on with the grapes and the vines at this time. So with no further ado, um, this topic today is basically how we make that decision of when to pick. When are the grapes ready? Uh, when should we test them for ripeness? And what are we doing? So let's talk about it. So Haley, kind of first off, I thought we could you could think about Again, me walking through the vineyard or like just kind of walking through it of like, okay, so you go out and you're, you say, hey, the grapes are, are ready, but like, how do you really know that? And, and what are you looking for? I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. When we are getting ready to make wine, we're kind of making a pick decision differently than when the grapes are physiologically ripe. So those are kind okay. of two different things. Um, so from the ecology <laughs> background, like you were talking about, the physiological ripeness is when the grapes are soft enough or they've gone through verasion and they're they're red and soft or green and soft. And especially birds and other small animals will come and eat them and then they take their seeds in their bellies and then poop them out somewhere else. And that's, <laughs> that's the physiological ripeness that the plant um, is aiming for. Yeah. <laughs> but what we are aiming for is usually slightly different. We obviously want the, the grapes to be ripe. So we want them to have gone through verasion, which is when they start to soften or turn color. And then we start testing um, for a couple different things. But mostly, I would say we do what, what you were talking about, which is going out in the field and tasting the grapes. And um, it could be just a couple grapes off of a cluster uh, at different places in your vineyard block or taking an actual sample back to the lab, squishing it in a bag, and then um, tasting it that way. But that's the first thing is like, how is it tasting? Does it taste ripe? <laughs> I do remember that, as you said it, that we were taking little, like, pickings of grapes to take back to the lab. I had totally forgot about that yeah. part. Yeah, we had a little, little bit, baggies. A little bit more of a representative sample than just, like, picking some to taste while you're out there. Okay, yeah. okay. But that's kind of, I think about, like, probably back in the old days before they did a lot of the chemistry work. That's kind of what they were tasting and, and oh yeah probably really fine-tuned of like thinking about okay this the grape tastes like this as it ferments like these are gonna be the flavors that come out like totally it's, you know like I don't want it too sweet where I really like eating it right now because that might be <laughs> too sweet and have too much sugars or whatever yeah so, I think that you also get a big difference between um the grape varietals that have historically 
evolved with us to make mm-hmm. wine taste very differently than the grapes that we use to make raisins or to eat off of the vines, like seedless Thompsons and things like that, or other um, grapes that are more traditional for just eating. They typically yeah. are going to be larger gl- grapes, sweeter, um, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Whereas the wine grapes are going to have different flavor profiles in them and um, maybe not be quite as sweet. Yeah, and that's the that's, number one kind of marker, I guess, is sweetness, sugar. Uh, which, if you want to break it down really simply, it's test your sugars. <laughs> yeah, which is called bricks. That's correct. Yeah. Um, a couple other places around the world, they call them uh, baum. Um, oh. And that it's not it's a different measurement than bricks. So if you say mm-hmm. like, oh, we pick it at 22 bricks, that's not going to mm-hmm. be 22 baum. It's totally different. Okay. Another way, sometimes um, when I talk to people that are really, they understand Baum and not necessarily bricks, we'll talk about grams per liter. Because oh, okay. we, I work enough in grams per liter with our sparkling wine that I kind of I have an idea of, of what that translates to in bricks. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes other people do as well. Okay. So let's talk about that because that's kind of the the key. Um, why don't you tell us how you measure for bricks and mm-hmm. then maybe a little bit more, then we can talk about why, why we're looking at the sugar content. Yeah. So when we're out in the field, there's something called a refractometer that's really nice to use. Oh, yeah. They're pretty, yeah, they're pretty um, sturdy and hardy. So you can take uh, one grape and just squeeze out a little juice and look at it in the field or take a a little baggie and squish up a bunch of grapes and then look at a couple drops of the grape juice. And the way that you've it, talked about that before. Sorry. Yeah. It refracts the light so that um, it can give you the actual measurement when you look through the eyepiece. Um, but there's also other ways to test that sugar level. Um, a densitometer is one, a hydrometer. Um, I would say if you're a commercial winery, you're probably going to want to own a densitometer at some point so that you can monitor your fermentations. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't use a refractometer. You can use a refractometer, but it will not give you accurate measurements after you start fermentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on what you're doing and how accurate you'd like to be, uh, you probably need a densitometer. Okay. Yeah. Densitometer. Mm-hmm. So... You are measuring sugar. Why Why are you doing that? <laughs> As the sugar, so there's usually kind of a window of uh, when people work with different grapes that they're looking for or a minimum amount of sugar that they, they know kind of once they get to that point, they're going to have mm-hmm. the flavors that they want. So it's kind of an easy target and an easy thing to measure. Okay. Um, but it also, if you think about what we're doing when we make wine is we're creating alcohol. So we want to have enough sugar to create alcohol. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's one of the other reasons that we measure the sugar to make sure like we're in a range of ripeness yeah. that we like. And so then what are the other things that you're looking for that, and are you measuring for those things or, or does your sugar measurement help you indicate mm-hmm. those other things? The other thing, I think the most common other thing that people measure is acid. So as your sugar is increasing, your acid is decreasing. Um, the pH, basically, correct? Uh, yes, although that's it's confusing because your pH is actually increasing. Okay. 
because of pH. The number. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so you're, as your acidity, and, and that's the, another basic way to measure. You can measure your acidity based on the pH, but actually most wineries are going to measure it based on the titratable acidity. And then oh, okay. even dep- if they have certain lots that, so titratable acidity basically, it, it assumes all the acids are tartaric acid. But there's a lot of other acids in a grape. So um, if you have certain other things going on with your grapes, you might want to have an actual measure of the different acids. So Mm -hmm. like your malic acid, tartaric obviously is going to be in there. Um, And a couple other things that are usually found in small amounts that malic acid can really be kind of the thing that that moves things around. Mm -hmm. Um, But just the titratable acidity to start out is a really good thing to measure. Uh, if you're a hobby winemaker, you might, uh, depending on how savvy you are in like a lab, you might have stuff to be able to run um, some of those tests. But really, most people are sending them off because um, unless they have an in-house lab at a winery that they work with or things like that. Uh, and then the- If you're sending it off, though, mm-hmm. it takes a while to get that back. So uh, usually that- most of the winery-specific labs that we use are... Overnight, the sample, the samples run the next day. So you get that that result at the end of the day, the next day. So if you're making a pick decision based on that, yeah, you you mm-hmm. might, you probably should have an idea if you're going to pick before you send the sample off and you're just kind of waiting to decide, are we going to pick it a day or two earlier or a day or two later? Um, yeah. And then the other thing that I've seen people measure, but I but they're not, nearly as common is things like phenolics. So that's, uh, well, I'll list about phenolics, color, and weight of berries or clusters. So there's certain people that swear by um, especially um, an increase or a decrease in berry weight. So they'll be like, oh, when when we have an average decrease of a certain amount of percent in our berry weights, that means like the fall is coming, everything's kind of drying up a little bit, and that's when we decide to make our pick decision. So there's people that swear by that. Um, the other thing is color. It's not as common to send things off for color samples because fermentation really can change color. But like actually looking at the color and and saying, oh, okay, now we're at this stage of color. And the especially when the juice is changing colors at a certain rate once you squish up those grapes. And then the phenolics being um, the things that create the flavors and the smells in the grapes, sometimes oh, okay. people test for those to make sure certain things are present or absent before they make their pick decisions. Oh, cool. And those would uh, mostly be in the lab that you're, te- I mean, weight you can do, but okay, phenolics and color have to be done in the lab. All right. I think my next question you already answered of like how you measure for acid and other things. I think you already kind of yeah, that one. So <laughs> we will move on. Um, I guess, is there any other things just kind of on that topic before we kind of dive into some of the other? I would uh, love to hear if other people have like, oh, we actually make our pick decision based on this. Like, uh, especially when it comes to measuring things in the grapes or or the plant. Because um, we're going to talk a little bit more about other things that can affect your pick decision. But um but yeah, I'm sure there's other things that I've left out or haven't thought about or have never come across that are important to some people. Yeah, so that's kind of, I feel like, more of the chemistry 
like parts. But then, you know, as an ecologist and whatever, I think about all those other impacts um, uh, that are like the weather and um, I don't know, just like other things that you might think of that are are impacting the vineyards. So um, that might also impact your pick decision date. Totally. (laughs) So what are some of those things? Yeah. One thing that um, I just thought about because you were talking about your ecology background that I um, hadn't thought about before when I was making my notes for today was if you work with a vineyard that um, is spraying for stuff, mm. sometimes you have a, a window that you are not allowed to pick that fruit and make wine because um, it's not Residuals safe. or whatever. Yeah, it's not safe to to make it. So definitely making sure that you're like you were saying at the beginning, when when you we used to be able to go out and talk with the vineyard owners mm-hmm. and managers, that's really important. So if you think that you're just going to like waltz in and be like, I'm ready to pick, probably mm-hmm. probably need to be going out a little bit more often and talking with those vineyard owners and managers to make sure that you guys are on the same page. Um, the other big thing that we kind of have talked about before is the frost window. So maybe you're you're like, I think we're kind of close and then you see that there's a frost warning for the next week or your temperatures are really going to start to drop, that's going to force your pick decision a lot of times. You can pick after a frost, but a couple things happen. One, the plants, depending on how hard the frost is, get really haggard. So you're picking a lot of leaves and other stuff into the the grapes. Um, and then your crew, if it's really cold, your crew, it can be really hard on the crew. Well, also I think about like, um, ice wines and different Mm -hmm. types where they actually want to pick after a frost because that does impact the bricks, correct? Of your, your wine as well. And you're waiting, when you make an ice wine, you're waiting for that grape to freeze like solid, not just a frost. So you're waiting for like December or January to pick and make wine. Typically. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So those grapes are on that vine for a long time. Yeah. So now you can imagine why like that your bricks do go up pretty significantly. Your sugar level goes up pretty significantly because you're losing water. It's throughout the fall. Yeah, yeah. To transpiration and other things to the plant. But then also, uh-huh. um, yeah, once the plant stops working, you're still mm-hmm. losing it to evaporation. So... I wonder if uh, ice wine originally got its thing of just like people in the old days being like, ah, oh, we don't have time to deal with that. Oh, let's, <laughs> here's some random ones that have been on here for a while. What do should we try? Let's try doing something with that. I just it's very possible that's curiosity. how it happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, okay. So then you talked about like your crew availability. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so what's going on with the crew? You were talking about kind of them, the cold factor, which mm-hmm. that's. Very valid point. Yeah, you want to make sure that, like we've talked about, um, I don't remember which episode it was, but we talked about volunteers versus like hired crews and how you kind of treat them differently. Um, But anytime you work with a hired crew, you don't want to just be like, well, this is a crappy job, so I'm going to hire somebody to do it. Like that's that's not cool. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I know sometimes it's necessary, but... um, you want to make sure that the conditions are as good as you they can be for a crew to come in and pick. So 
Um, if you need to spend an extra day to mow or do something like that so that your crew can work in a better environment, then that should push your pick decision by 24 hours or whatever. Um, the other things that a lot of new winemakers, myself included, sometimes forget to take into consideration are, uh, do you have pick bins available at the vineyard to pick into? Or do they have pick bins that they're allowing you to use? And then also when you get those pick bins that are full of grapes to the winery, do you have tank space or or if you're fermenting in bins, bin space to ferment in and accrue to process at the winery? Um, sometimes there are certain days, uh, depending on the size of a winery, sometimes during the fall, if you're like a mid to lower size winery, there are certain days that they don't process because they have to, they feel like they have to keep certain days sacred so that their crew can go home and be with family. Um, A lot of the big places, they just have crews on 24 hour shifts actually, or 12 hour shifts, eight hour shifts. It totally depends on the the way that they run their business. Um, So the really big places process all day long, all night long, Um, and, uh, it doesn't, you know, if you're processing at a place like that, you'll know, (laughs) uh, and you usually bin space and tank space isn't as much of a problem because you have fermentation bins or sorry, fermentation tanks typically. And then you have settling tanks and cooling tanks and all. So as long as you have a fermentation tank open, you can pick whatever you need to. Yeah, I was. I think we talked about that in our prep in the vineyard episode um, about the importance of the crews and yeah. whatever. Yeah, when I worked, um, so I worked hop harvest, which that's is right. a totally different beast, and that's like crazy, <laughs> anyways. Mm-hmm. But um, we did twelve-hour shifts, yeah. um, so it was for me. I did the five a.m. to five p.m. shift um, with obviously like half an hour, an hour lunch break. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Probably half an hour. Um, I don't know. Anyways, so yeah, it was long days and I could not believe like, oh my gosh. So yeah. that's why in some ways I made money, even though by the hour I wasn't making money because I was working <laughs> so many hours a day. Right. Um, but but when you don't have anything else to do, like when you get home, you're like, I'm just going to bed. You're not spending that money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, for sure. Especially since like the, f- I did it for two seasons and the first season I was still living at home. So it was like, I, well, I mean, I was living at home both times, but the second year I got, I ended up staying the night, a few nights down yeah. at somebody's house that lived like 10 minutes away. So right. the first time I was driving like an hour every day so it made it an even longer day right so exactly I would just like get up sleep go yeah but the couple times that I worked on um it wasn't for pick crews but it was vineyard crews during like pruning they were shifts like that well uh we would meet at like 7 30 because it was winter so it was starting to get light at 7 30 and then we would work until like 3 30 4 30 so it was not nearly as long of days but because it was winter, it was like, and it's going to be dark in an hour and a half. So hurry up and get home. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's like something to think about with just like your crews. And like, that was something I always saw, like when working in the field of just kind of like that 
I hate to say it, but the hierarchy of, of people and like how sometimes, um, yeah, people just didn't treat us as well. And it was kind of a bummer. Like right. it was just as a person that could speak English too, sometimes I was like, it pissed me off even more because I felt like sometimes there were things said that I could understand that I was like, be nice. Like these people are working real hard for your crops right now. <laughs> like yeah. let, let's be nice. And sometimes those mornings are really early too, because I know some places they even start before because you're mm-hmm. trying to get like, because it's so going to be hot. And so you're trying to get the pick and get it all. So then it can yeah. get to the the winery by 10 a.m. or whatever, <laughs> because it's going to be a hot day. So yes. just, you know, I know that wasn't in there, but I think just keeping that in mind with your oh, pick totally. decision stuff too, um, and just like how your crew's gonna handle sure it to, all. Yeah, <laughs> especially if you're counting on those crews year after year, but they're not your like if you don't have a full time crew that you hire every year or or you have on staff, uh, you're gonna want to treat the crew that you bring in nicely because they will remember even if it's not the same people every year the crew bosses will remember how they're how they're treated and there have been times when I've heard of other people like going asking hey can you guys come in and they've been told nope we're not available we're not available for bring a couple them weeks <laughs> yeah bring, bring them, them donuts, donuts bring them coffee totally you Make know sure bring that... extra treats mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> totally like just yeah be like you would. I mean, because it's like, it sounds like, oh, yeah, that's like money that you're spending. But at the same time, it's like you're going to get that crew back again and they're going to work harder for you. Yeah, they're going to um, remember and, and and yeah, make sure to help you out. Anyways, sorry for that detour. But I think that that's really important to kind yeah. of factor in and how the weather plays into it all and all that kind of stuff. Um, okay, so before I went on my tangent... <laughs> that um how uh you were talking about kind of the bin availability Mm -hmm. so you talked about the cruise and then you talked about the bin availability so maybe if you want to just like take us back to that (laughs) and then talk about um how you you were kind of getting into like how you need those bins for ferment and how some of the larger industries kind of or larger sellers and stuff have Mm -hmm. The other thing that I was thinking is uh, about flexibility. So you're going to want to make sure you're flexible in terms of if you know your fruit's going to be ready in a week um, or you think it's going to be ready in a week, definitely let your your vineyard manager or owner know, hey, I think we're going to be picking sometime next week. But be flexible enough to maybe say, is there a certain day that works better for you, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or or something like that, instead of just saying, we have to pick on Thursday. Because a lot of times when you're so rigid like that, you might not realize that there are other things going on, whether it's they've loaned their tractor to someone for Thursday morning or little things like that. So, I mean, and a day before or a day after your ideal pick day is not going to significantly change your crop unless you have a frost. Um, and then I, I, it could. Um so be a little bit flexible. And the same in the winery. If you if if they really want you to take something, but you don't have the right bin space or tank space, if there's ways for you to be flexible at the winery, that can be super helpful 
for making things just go more smoothly for you in the vineyard as well. So be flexible, kind of look at other problem solve in different ways. (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking that with like a frost and stuff, that means that probably a lot of the crews are in high demand then too. So, Mm -hmm. you know, going back to our prep episode of just like kind of keeping, like you said earlier, keeping people, the farmers, the crews, whoever, you know, talking with them regularly throughout the season so that they know Um, where it's looking like. So in case something like that pops up that you have to kind of like adjust. I mean, I think you're going to kind of know, but you know, we got snow in April this year. So (laughs) who knows anymore? Like it it might all of a sudden be like, "Uh uh-oh, this is happening. We got to do it. (laughs) Especially if you're in a region that grows other crops or certain times when those crops kind of take precedence because they pay a lot better. Um, Like, Peaches, I know, are something that we sometimes run up against with, um, or no, not peaches. Um, oh, no, I'm blanking on what it is. Maybe it's plums. I don't know. It's one of the later, I think peaches are earlier. Um, and apples, apples, I don't know, are, are as, um, they might pay just as well, or I don't know exactly, but I know there's a couple of crops that in Idaho we run up against where the crews like to go and work those other jobs. And then in other areas where there's a ton and ton and ton of vineyards, this, the similar things happens where when everybody's picking at the same time, sometimes you have your crews and they just go around to different places. So you can't get the crew on the day you want. Yeah. Well, and also there's, I know that there's been some crew shortages over the past yes. years too, because of various things. So yeah, just keep all that in flexibility. mind. A lot of stuff. But yeah, I think that's the flexibility. No, you know, be testing regularly and then flexibility. I yes. like that. So, Definitely. okay. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention with this? Um, I, I was so. going to, I was kind of thinking like we didn't give specifics, like you want to look for this amount of bricks or whatever like yeah. that. But that's all because it depends on the person and, and it depends on the type of wine you're making. I'm always shooting for like 18 to 19 to 20 bricks. And I say that and people are like, you're crazy. And I'm like, well, I'm making sparkling wine. And they're like, ah, that's still slow. Like, and I'm like, no, it's perfect for sparkling wine. 18 is usually pretty good. Um, but there are a lot of like red wine makers are shooting more for like 22 to 24 bricks, depending on the varietal they're working with, sometimes lower. So anything from 18 to 25 bricks. So, and it also depends on the site and how hot the site is. Because if you have a warmer site, you're going to have higher sugar content, even if your acids are still hanging in there. Does it fluctuate sometimes like hourly, daily, or is it pretty like, eh? like um, how does that work? Because I know with photosynthesis, I'm just thinking of some of the other things that I right. measure in life and how temperature and photosynthesis and some other things can actually make some variations within days. Um, I should know that uh, an answer better. I'm pretty sure that the sugars are relatively consistent. Um, They might plateau and like a very, if you're measuring on a really precise level, they might plateau at certain parts of the day. But um, I believe that that the acids fluctuate slightly. So the big thing there is um, 
if you're going out and picking samples, you want to be consistent about picking them around the same time of day. Uh, It doesn't have to be like, I pick at this vineyard at 11.15, then I go to the next block and at 11.23, I pick there. That's not, I mean, it's going to take you five, 10 minutes, maybe more, depending on the size of the block to walk through the block. Um, And so just around the same time of day is good. Um, Yeah. That's a, that's a good, good last note to, to, to come in with some, some numbers of sorts. <laughs> some non-numbers from Haley Minder. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways, why don't you go ahead and wrap it up and say any final yes. words? <laughs> Thanks everybody for clicking on over to our podcast link and listening. We hope you learned a little bit about how to make a pick decision and the different factors that affect how winemakers make those decisions. It's not just about when the grapes are ready, although that is the most important thing. So we would love to hear if you, um, how you make your pick decisions and how they have gone in the past. If you're going to change the way you make them in the future by writing into wholeclusterconversation at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Bogle. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.